Thank you, and, for, and welcome to you. It's really nice to see, see you here. Uh, Melbourne, uh, music in Melbourne and me is very much about the audience, because you are the me in the exhibition. Uh, music really wouldn't take place, performances such as those exhibited around here wouldn't really take place without an audience, because there's a strong interaction happening between performers and uh, the audience members. And we create um, so many memories, and we carry memories around with us through the sound of music and through the lyrics and, uh, of music too. And please, if, if you want to uh, uh, contribute any of your memories as Ed and I have a conversation, please do, and we'll have a, a large conversation together. That would be really good. Um, just quickly before I start talking to Ed, um, the areas of um, neuroscience, um, psychology and musicology are the main areas in academia where research is taking place into how on earth um, music seems to trigger off memories or are memories triggered off by the music. Um, and for me, it, do it does. Do you have favourite songs here? If, if you, you, you nod... If, if, if I say to you now, I'm not going to ask you, but if I say to you, if there's one song that you have strong memories about, have you got one in your head right now? Maybe. You've got some blinking eyelids and slight nods. I have, but I won't tell you what mine are just yet. But it's really an, an amazing, powerful sensation, uh, music and memory, because it takes us very quickly down to deep uh, feelings and deep emotions. And like... Um, many other forms of uh, memory uh, triggers. And that's why we're interested in it. And this exhibition, which is um, like a co um, curated uh, with my colleague here, the, um, Suzanne Davis, who's the programme um, director, um, we're interested in hearing people's stories because stories are very powerful. But Ed is the man who carries the stories around with him. He is such... Um, a significant uh, music journalist in not just Melbourne but Australia. It's, it's great to have you here, Ed. Thank you very much. And last week we went uh, walking around um, seeing what kind of memories were triggered for Ed. And um, um, we kind of sat on this faux grass here uh, which reminds us of those wet, muddy, damp festivals we all went to, I guess. Maybe we all didn't go to, but I remember arriving on muddy fields. And my, my first memory, actually, yeah. sort of walking in here the, um, the other night for the opening was I saw my first band in this very room. I was, I was um, an architecture student and, um, uh, and I, I came in, in here and, and I saw a band called Mopper Blues. Um, and yeah, and the, and the architecture and the music kind of went together for me because I, I was, uh, I'd started, I was interested in, in music anyway, uh, and I'd, start, I'd started, I thought I was going to be an architect, and I was studying here, and um, I, I started, started a little bit of writing, and, and, and I, was, I was just um, dropping my copy into GoSet, in, into their letterbox. Uh, they, I was I was more concerned about what I was doing, and the music just took me away. And that this this is this Melbourne thing is actually one of my a topic that I, I don't get to talk about very much, because you know when, when you when you have a 
I usually have a national audience and Sydney doesn't like me talking about about this aspect of things, that Melbourne is one of the, one of the greatest uh, music cities in the world. And, um, and, and what's around the walls here is, is sort of the end product. If you go into that room and look at, look at the venues, that was where it, that's where it starts. Um, it's, it's, it's the venues that, 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 that are, are kind of the, the, the embryo of everything. Yeah. Um, that, that whole question about Melbourne being the centre of music in Australia is a big question. Of course, if you're from Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth, etc., you may not agree with that. But there is a strong infrastructure of music industry here that has supports thousands of music musicians out there in their garages and in their bedrooms and in the small uh, venues and in the huge stadium venues as well. And after all, we're a city of four million people uh, has grown to have a very significant um, musical culture. And, and, and it's more that, so I, I believe in the ge geography of cities, that the, that the geography creates things. If you, and Sydney has, has, is, is this beautiful place where, where you naturally know what you're going to do. I used to go to, go to Sydney now and again to c catch up with friends and, and um, I'd have to come back and remind myself why I like Melbourne. That Melbourne's internal and Sydney's external. Um, and so, um, and, and, and Melbourne had, has had, had this friendship with music from, from, from way down there. There's a, there's a place on the wall there, um, Frank Trainers, um, which, which was in Little Longsdale. It was this, this, this place where, where people went in the 50s and then in the 60s, and it, was, it started off as a jazz place, but there were three levels and, and it had an import shop underneath. Um, it, it, there was jazz and there was folk. And so there are all these... Melbourne has this capacity of supporting music. It, and, and it is part of the, that ge geography thing, that if you, if, you, if you do anything in Melbourne, people come, will, will come and support it. But, well, at least we're in the right location in terms of geography and music. But it's a very uh, important point that um, Ed brings up here. In, uh, when we first walked around Ed last week, you went to uh, have a look at the Sunbury footage over there, yes. which has been loaned by the filmmaker Gil Matthews. Um, and you, the drummer. The drummer. And you talked about an earlier uh, festival than the 1972 festival. Could you mm. tell us something about that and perhaps Sunbury well, as well? It was actually 1970. Um, I, I, was, I was working for GoSet and I, uh, Woodstock had just happened in 1969, so we kind of knew uh, what had happened in, in America. And there was, there was a festival in, in New South Wales called at Orumba, and it, um, there, there was a, a, a San Francisco hippie, hippie group that had come to, they escaped to Australia. And they, they were, so they were, they were living in New South Wales and they put this festival on. And we, we, went, we went up in, in, on a bus, um, and it was it was the ghosted people, um, some of the performers, Wendy Saddington, and all, I always remember this because we'd seen the vision of um, of Woodstock, and 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 somehow everyone then got to this place and they didn't know what to do 
because we hadn't done it before. Uh, everything is a learned experience. We, we, we've seen the vision, but we hadn't done it ourselves. So the, the first thing that, that everyone did was wander around and sort of say, well, here we are, we're doing this thing, but what, how should we behave? Um, so, it, but it was a really important moment in, in Australian music history because um, the, the, the Australian record, progressive rock had arrived and um, the Australian record companies weren't, weren't recording it. So here was, here was a chance for Australian audiences to see Australians who were doing that sort of thing. Um, so it, it, it was Tully and, 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 and Tamim Shad and, and, and these, these sort of bands who then went on to, to be recorded. And of course, Billy Thorpe, uh, that was his chance to, to get out of the, 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 the environment of a closed space and to, to be out, in the, out in, the, in the wild and play as loud as he possibly could. And the thing I always remember is that, is that just before Billy came on, uh, there were all these, these cabinets being, being added to the, to the stage and you thought that, the, that could have been empty, but you just got this anticipation of what was gonna happen. And so after, after Arumba, there were a couple of attempts at a festival here in Melbourne, uh, launching place, and then there was Sunbury. Right, great. Uh, I'm interested to hear Ed talk about um, having that sense of being in an enclosed space and then suddenly finding yourself in an open space in a festival field. I remember that when I was 17, going to Windsor Jazz Festival and being youthful and um, hitching from wherever, Mid Wales, I think, to Windsor and finding myself in this massive, strange place with strange smells and sounds made me feel very nervous and I had that sense too what well, what do I do now I'm here etc yeah. did you have any of those feelings if you went to those your first festivals do you recall anything how it felt like a lot of stone people actually. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stone people and yes the, the next time I I didn't ex that was the first time I experienced that, you know, what, 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 what do we do now? And I experienced that again when I went to my first rap show, hip-hop show, because it was the same thing, that people had seen the, 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 the videos, they'd seen, but they, they hadn't actually done it themselves yet. And so it was actually the same experience, that, that we, we, we start by learning the, the behaviour, and now we do all this hand movements and all that stuff. And it's part of, I guess it's all part of how we together make music. So, Ed, can I just turn to this large banner of the 1975 Skyhooks banner here at yes. the back here? The Skyhooks were such a significant um, group of musicians to, in Melbourne and in Australia. And when I look at that, I wasn't here in Australia at the time, but when I look at the actual banner and also look at the foldback monitor that belonged to um, Shirley Strawn, um, uh, it evokes kind of uh, memories for me, particularly because um, that foldback um, uh, monitor was made, handmade, by Shirley Strawn and his father. And I think that kind of family togetherness. Um, Skyhooks are a really important, another important turning point, because in, in the early 70s, um, music globally had turned to glitter. Or, or bands like 
Pink Floyd and Yes, all that equipment on stage. And, and Australia couldn't go there. We could, we couldn't, we, we we couldn't go to. We didn't have the, have the money for the equipment, or or to stage those things. And um, Australia is also a very macho uh, country, so bands wouldn't be seen seen dead on stage with glitter. And what Skyhooks did, they decided to send it up. That they decided to do a satire of the glitter. They didn't mean to become characters. The, the initial thing was, we'll just send this up, we'll dress up as if we're, we're a glitter band, and it became that thing. And when, you, when, you, when they got to that point, they became really, really professional. And uh, they and, and Sherbet put Australian music on the same level professionally as, as as international acts, you know, you, you go and, and the, the sets would be would be great. Everything was was really really professional, and that was a really important point, turning point for Australian music. Right, uh, we've interviewed quite a few celebrities um, for this exhibition, including Red Simon, who was a member of Skyhooks, and he describes their dressing up and their glitter as the last dash of vaudeville mm. here, and. Um, that, that's interesting itself. And over here, um, we have a Yothi Yindi poster. Yes. And you were telling me something about the song Treaty. Yeah. Could you tell us something about Because this, for me, as a POM and a migrant here, I mean, Yothi Yindi is very important. The music is important. The song Treaty is very important too. Well, what, what I was saying, I, I struggled with that song because it, it was written as a, a, a as as a plea for white and, and black Australian to have a treaty. That's the, that, was the, that was the purpose of it. Uh, Mandawai and Peter Garrett and Paul Kelly wrote this song to, to, to remind us that, that we had this, this, this agenda, that, that, that we had this, this thing that hadn't been done yet, a treaty. And along come a couple of remixes, producers, get that song and they turn it into a dance filler and what that's what we hear we hear the dance song we don't hear the message so the dance mix has no, has no lyrics no no but but we dance to it we don't listen to what what the song's trying to say it, yeah. Because there is, a, there is a mix, I think, called the, the radio mix, yes, right. that, that, that doesn't include but it, the it, words. Just, it just has always annoyed me that, that when we talk about treaty, we, we, we you know, it's, it's a happy little song, or people instantly get up and, and, and dance to it. They don't think about what... But Yotha Yin is interesting too, because um, it's, it, it isn't just a band and, and, and a mixed you know, black and white band, it's also... The, 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 the uh, makeup, uh, the dancers—it's—it's it's, it's a whole thing, you know. That it is—it is, it is Aboriginal culture on stage. You know, I, I remember. Do you remember watching um, the national, the Olympic Games opening in Sydney? And uh, I think, oh, was it the, cl oh, the closing ceremony? But Yothi Yindi, they sang Treaty Song, and it was so powerful. The, the performance itself, the visual element it, it of it. It is a powerful song. Very powerful and, and very uh, significant in terms of Australian history and musical performance. And, and the best part of that, that, that presentation was Midnight Oil, because uh, no one knew what the, that they were going to do this, and they were, came on stage in black T-shirts with sorry written across the table. Yeah, I remember that. That was, that was great. I remember going, yes, 
for me. But that's to do with our kind of both in, our individual memories that are important to us. But in terms of such an important song, popular song and performance, performed by Yothi Indi, that is part of our collective memory too. So I think popular music is not only to do, is a powerful thing for our individual memories and who we are, but also for who we are as Melbournians and who we are as Australians. Very, very powerful um, element of how we make sense of ourselves. Um, but, but look, it, this is our culture. That's, that's why this, this is really nice and, and powerful because it, this is our music. You know, and when we go to those venues, when we went to those venues, and venues are not just, you don't just open a venue and people come. The, the venues go where the people are. And, and then the people come along and, and, and they bring the music that, that, that belongs to. So it's actually the audience and the bands and the venues that create the music. So there's a kind of, kind of tripartite relationship there between the performer, the audience, of course, and the place which it, the music takes place. And after all, music is essentially a social uh, activity and we need places to uh, make music and be social in. And, and when you go into that room there, we have tried, uh, particularly with the photographs, to show the energy and the relationship between us, the audience, and the performers. Yeah. Could I just ask you, Ed, about uh, Roland S. Howard over there? We were talking about... This is the black and white photograph of Roland S. Howard over there. Um, um, can you tell us something about him? Well, Roland was in a, in a band called The Young Charlatans, and um, he had written this song called Shivers. And the opening line of Shivers is, I've been contemplating suicide. Yeah, which is, was really... And um, he ended up joining Nick Cave's um, Boys Next Door, and, th and they took on that song as well. It was a song that, that no one wanted to play, radio-wise, but we're still listening to it. And uh, Roland and, 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 and Nick eventually sort of fell out. Um, and R Roland has then released two solo albums. And they're, they're incredibly powerful records. You know, he, he, he evokes real... That, that Shivers thing is, is just an example of what... You know, I, I recently wrote a thing about what's the sa saddest song you've ever come across, and it's a, it's a Roland Howard song. Right. The, the evocation of memory, and um, um, that's an interesting question, the saddest song. I haven't asked myself that question. I want to know, but I, I can't indulge myself. Maybe going through your head now is there maybe a particular trigger of a sad uh, memory with uh, a sad music, or your sad memory makes the music sad. One of those well, two the, things. The chorus that's, uh, of that song, I, I miss you so much, and it, it and it, it just has this like you, you know that he really, really missed missed that person that he's that he's writing about. Yeah, you know, I often say to my students about the, the power of music. If you say, if you say I miss you or I love you, common common things to be heard in the song lyrics. If we say them as a mundane thing in our lives. If you actually, if you put them to, to the, to the um, melodic and rhythmic and harmonic context and sounds of music, suddenly that's where the mundane takes you to the mysterious and the deeply felt, I think. I mean... Uh, and, and sometimes what happens is, is you can change the gender of a song. There's, 
you know, there's, there's Renee Gaya over on the wall there. And her, I mean, she, she didn't do this herself. She, she had been given uh, a set of, set of um, singles by RCA Records and she found a, a, a female version of It's a Man's World by James Brown. And that is her calling card now. And it's so powerful, much more powerful coming from a woman than it did from, from a man. It's a man's world. Absolutely. Uh, on, that, on that point, as we were kind of, uh, Suzanne and I were looking through hundreds and hundreds of posters uh, and memorabilia, the amount actually showing women in popular music is quite low. And well, that, that is one of the things about Australian music culture. That it, is a, it has been about men. You know, it's, it's a boys' club, and now and again, that, and that's that's the thing with Renee. Renee, I, I wrote Renee's book, and the thing that that, that I learned was that you know she, she she started in music when she was 19. Uh, she just wanted to to sing, um, and but it, but but she wanted to be a musician. She wanted to be with musicians, and what that meant was. You know, she she could have been a solo star, but she didn't want to do that. She wanted to be in a band. And that meant that she, she was with boys and they would go out touring and, and when they went out touring, the boys would, 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 would go out sort of finding girls and doing all the things the boys do. Renee was stuck in the hotel room. She came, became addicted to television because, because she was the only woman around. So gradually we, we've changed that. You know, there's a picture of uh, Deborah Conway there. Yes. Um, you know, we, we, we've, We've found women, but for a long time, it was a struggle for women in, in Australian music because the same thing as the, 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 the glitter thing with Skylarks. We, 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 we have been a very macho country. Yeah. I think even the posters of women, of women we have here um, tend to show women in, in, in particular kind of um, sexual uh, positions and posturings more than the men. See, and, and the thing is too that internationally uh, women were able to be girls next door and, and have a success by, by being girls next door. Australia didn't have that. You know, Little Paddy was one, but there weren't many sort of... So it was always a, a closed door, or for a long time it was a closed door for women. And do you think that's opened Oh, a definitely. I listen to more women in music, in Australian music now than, than, than others, you know, the, the Sarah Blasco's and, 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 and those sort of people. They're, they're, uh, Sally Seltzman, they're creating some really interesting music. W women are saying things that m men haven't had a chance to say. Good. Uh, and I, I reckon there's a lot more to be said on that uh, area there. Um, Crowded House, over in the corner there we have um, part of the stage set of Crowded yes. House and a poster and they happen to be, two of their songs happen, happen to be voted in as top number one, number two in the top 40 songs uh, that we feature on the jukebox over there. Can you tell us something about Crowded House? And well, um, actually, well Crowded House is, is, a, is a New Zealand group um, they, they were originally called Split Ends with, without the Z, so uh, like, like the hair, Split Ends. And they decided to come to Australia and to, to mark the, 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 the move from New Zealand to Australia, they, they changed their name to Split Ends, so they split from ends. 
And the, and the other thing they did was, was they all but one of the members changed their names around from the middle name to the... So uh, Tim Finn is actually... It'll come to me. So that's not Tim Finn. That Timothy is his, is his second name. They all changed their names around, and that was that was them reminding themselves that that, that they had they had changed. Then they had that this this international adventure. Uh, the, the guy who didn't change his name, Phil Judd, who who, who had been kind of the, the the inspiration behind the band. He 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 sort of freaked out. He left the band, and and the the band brought in. Um, um, Tim Finn's young, younger brother, Neil Finn, and then so that went on, and they eventually I went to their their final show as it ends, and that by then they had um, Paul Hester as their as their drummer, and um, Neil and Paul had formed a, a, a really close musical relationship, and and they they asked around for uh, for. Well, no, there was, there was actually um, a musician that, that came, uh, came along and uh, Mark Seymour's brother, uh, he, he, he offered himself and, and that's, 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 that's uh, Coded House. They went, they went to America, they always wanted to straight away launch themselves out of America. They lived in a house, um, they had a, a number of different names. Uh, they were living in a house together. The, the record company didn't like the names that they came up with, and they were living in this crowded house, and that's how they became crowded house. Great, thanks. You mentioned Mark Seymour. Um, you're probably very familiar with Mark Seymour and Hunters and Collectors, uh, who also contributed to this exhibition. And um, he's doing a, a lot of work um, yes. on tour this year. Is it, and he, is he supporting Springsteen? I, I think they are, they are yes. Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, hunters, hunters and collectors are supporting Bruce Springsteen next year. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, you know, like, and that's 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 also an interesting story where hunters and collectors started off as 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 this sort of noisy band, and and and, and the, the the legend is that that there were more people on stage, you know, because they didn't invite people to play rubbish bins and and, and uh, um, fire extinguishers and all that sort of stuff, but gradually. Mark sort of became the focus because he had he had this this thought about writing songs about the about the human condition, human frailty, and so within the noise and everything and all the rock and roll and the, and the pub rock, he he he, he was concentrating on that. Now that, that's what you, you that's what 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 became their forte. You know, show your arms around me. He, he's constantly writing about the, the human condition. Um, and, and, and his, his solo albums are, are, are great. Absolutely. That song, Throw Your Arms Around Me, do, do, do you know it? Yes, I mean, it's such a powerful song, it's become anthemic. If we were to analyse it, well, we'd probably analyse it away. But the sound of the music, the lyrics of the music, but also the context of the music, and my context for that music is different from yours, and we bring together, uh, unspoken in an unspoken way, our experience of that song, and yet collectively, it's become that anthem anthemic, great yeah. song. And it's one of those